Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Mark, and this is E3, and we are going through uh, a book together that uh, John Bickley and I uh, put together. And just to remind you, it is not complete yet. We, uh, it has not been released to the world. We are going on this journey. We not only invited you on this journey but uh, to go through it, but to participate in it. And uh, we've gotten some great feedback, and uh, there's going to be some changes, some things uh, added, some things tweaked, and things like that. So this has been a really fun and unique process that we've been able to go through this together, but also refine it together, uh, because I believe that these are ideas that are worth spreading, to quote TED Talks, I guess, and uh, ideas that <clears throat> hopefully can be presented in a way to uh, encourage conversation. So just to remind you, over the past several weeks, we've been going through each symbol. The first symbol we looked at was the Mahak David, the Star of David, and that symbol representing... Um, the story of Israel is told in the Old Testament and learning uh, that the uh, Star of David or the story of Israel gives us the context for our faith, gives us the context to understand the person of Jesus. And then that leads us into the Cairo symbol, uh, which is the Greek letter, which looks like an X in the row, which is the P superimposed on one another, which is a symbol, first two letters uh, in Greek for Christ, and that's the symbol for Jesus Christ. Then we looked at the cross, which uh, we talked about, I believe, is one of the most misunderstood symbols in the, in the gospel narrative, and uh, just looked at the atonement and what that truly means. Then John last week did a great job, I, I thought, uh, talking about the resurrection and the empty tomb and the symbol. And today, we are going to be looking at the fish, uh, or the uh, ichthus is how you say it in Greek. And uh, one way to think about this is kind of cool. Everything that we've talked about up until this moment has been history. And now we're moving into the present day, that we are the church, Right? We, we are the, 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 the body that is represented by, uh, by the fish. So it's kind of cool uh, what we're talking about today directly impacts our everyday life. Before I jump into that, I want to share a quote with you, which I've been doing uh, each time. This time it's from N.T. Wright, a brilliant theologian and Christian thinker. He wrote this in his book, uh, Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with a life of heaven. And I think that's a really great statement. He should write some books. <laughs> so, you guys pray with me. Dear God, as we just kind of set up this idea of uh, that really is behind the symbol of the fish, that 
we won't just get stuck on the symbol, but we will let it penetrate our lives, that uh, it'll give us greater clarity of what we as the church are meant to be about. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So, the church has actually used the symbol of the fish uh, really from almost its conception. The fish uh, has so many different connections with, with the Christian church. Uh, some of them are very uh, apparent. Others of them are not so apparent. Uh, again, the, the fish, uh, the, the letters that make up the Greek word for fish can be used as an acrostic that many people have done over the centuries. Uh, the acrostic meaning uh, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Uh, also, tradition has it in the uh, in Christian uh, tradition, that persecution in Rome was so bad that it was very dangerous to say, hey, I'm a Christian and all this. So what people would do is when they would come up and they would meet somebody in the town square or whatever along the way, and they suspected that that other person was a follower of Christ, and they wanted to see if they could have kind of some elevated spiritual conversations, one person would take their foot and in the sand just do an arch, like a little arc. And for if the person, other person was a Christian, on the other side of them, they would take their foot and complete uh, or uh, do an opposing arc, which would look like the fish. Also, uh, there's so many different uh, times that, that Jesus and, uh, uses the, the symbolism of fish that we know in the feeding of the 5,000, right? That, that uh, what? He multiplied the fish. And, you know, there's also some theologians have noted that for the Christian church, that how do you become, like after you become a follower of Christ, what is the symbol of, of being part of the church? Baptized, being, you know, being baptized. In, and you are baptized in water. And what lives in water? fish. Again, these are some different ideas. So there's a lot of, a lot of different kind of ideas about uh, this. And also one of the most uh, famous statements from Jesus when he was calling some of his disciples, he said, come and I will make you fishers of men. So this is one symbol that, that you know, obviously is uh, very prevalent in the Christian faith and in our faith. Uh, so, why the church? I mean, why do we exist? And the reality of the church really is, is, is based in what John was talking about last week. To really think about it, that the Christian church, we exist because the resurrected Christ commissioned the disciples. And that's why we exist. When Jesus came and, uh, and, and the resurrected Christ came and, and he gave his, what many scholars and many pastors call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where he said, I have given, been given all authority in heaven and earth. And with all this authority, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. He didn't say go make converts. He said, go and make disciples, people who are students of me, followers of me. And then I want you to baptize them, make them little fishes, right? 
just for a little while, and then take them back. <laughs> and to teach them all the commands that I have taught you. And this is, this is the great commission. This is the, co- the commissioning of the fish, the commissioning of the church. And it's interesting that, that Jesus uh, proclaims this all authority in heaven and earth. And this is what you are meant to be about, that you are meant to be an illumination. You are meant to be an ambassador. You are meant to be a servant. And this is where uh, the multiple symbols of the gospel become so important because this should uh, uh, tickle our brains a little bit and remember, oh, you know, the cross. And, and, and what was Jesus' idea about the cross before he was crucified? Well, in Luke chapter 9, I believe it was, where, where Jesus said, hey, you know what? To be a follower of me, to be a disciple of me, if any of you want to be my follower, that you have to what? Pick up your cross daily. And we talked about in the, in the uh, when we talked about the symbol of the cross, right, that, that, you know what, being apathetic or just become used to the, the symbol of the cross is a very dangerous thing because every time that we see the cross, it should challenge us. To ask ourselves honestly the question, how am I picking this this cross up every single day and being a servant to the world? How am I picking up my cross and sacrificing my own desires for the good of others? And it's something that we shouldn't approach easily. So, although... Being a follower of Christ is a personal decision. It is not an individual effort. And that's where the, the church comes in. And I was brought a lot of clarity to this uh, when I began uh, competitively cycling. And I, I, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched the Tour de France or if you've ever seen competitive cycling, but there... Basically, what happens is a lot of people, you know, a lot of cyclists come together, right, in, in, a, in what is called a peloton. And I don't know if you know this, but I also coach a uh, junior cycling team. And what I try to explain to the, to the kids is, you know what, when you're traveling in a pack like that, because of, you know, uh, physics and aerodynamics and all that kind of stuff that I don't understand, what I do know is that if you are properly positioned, that you can reduce about 30% of the resistance against you. So if you can normally ride by yourself about 20 miles per hour, that conceivably you could, you could ride at about 26 miles per hour if you're in a peloton. And, and then subsequently, if you're in like a peloton with other people that, that care about you, they also encourage you. And you can go farther and, uh, and ride better uh, with less resistance when doing it with other people. And this may be why the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 25, let us not neglect meeting with one another, as some have, uh, but encourage one another, especially now 
that uh, the day of His return, Jesus' return, is drawing near. And a lot of pastors, you know, that they, they uh, and people, you know, they, they, I believe, mistakenly have said, you know what, the purpose of the church is to get, you know, the unchurched churched. And I think that I, I understand what, what they're saying, so I'm not being critical about that, but I do think that it has the potential to uh, confuse the goal. You know, the, the great commission isn't to get people churched. The great commission is to make disciples of Jesus, to baptize them, enter, invite them into your community, and to teach them. And I think a better term might be unattached, and this is why. This is a word that, the, again, the world of cycling has, has given me and, and helped my theology and understanding of the church. You see, when you're not on a team, you are unattached. In fact, if you took the time to go to USA Cycling website and looked up my very unimpressive cycling career, uh, you would see at the beginning of it that uh, in, in many of my you know, last or almost last place finishes, next to my name is this word unattached. And it's not that sad. <laughs> so uh, I do it for fun, so I don't lose any sleep over it. But I was unattached, and, and, and what that means is I, I was not part of a team. And if you did a little more research and you looked at it and everything, you would start to notice that most of the guys in the bottom, I like to think about it as making others feel better about themselves, but, but you know, it's all how you perceive it, right? That, uh, that you know, most of the people at, at the bottom have the label unattached, and most of the people who uh, are in the upper uh, parts have team names associated with them. Well, why is that? Well, there's several different reasons, but let me propose this one reason is there's a difference when, when you are traveling toward a goal and you have other people who are looking out for you and encouraging you. And there's times in a, in a cycling race that you get in trouble, and if you're not attached, you're, dis you're unattached, you're going out the back, and uh, the peloton will ride away from you. But if you have other people looking out for you, that they encourage you that with you. They, they may, if you've uh, got caught out in the wind, that they'll, they'll come and they'll, they'll take the wind, the, head, the headwind for you so you can recover and you can stay with the group and you can continue going on. And this is what I think is a, is a better kind of uh, view of the church and the, the necessity of the church is this idea that, that we travel together and we do better for a longer time and we gain more ground uh, when we do it in community. So, I, I really think that this, this, this notion of, of being an unattached Christian or, or, or just, the, just me and Jesus uh, kind of idea of Christianity uh, has been very dangerous and 
and and has led a lot of people to for their their faith to get stalled out because they don't have the encouragement around them they don't have the uh, people speaking into their lives. They don't have people uh, looking out for them spiritually and, and taking some of the, the stress off them when you are weak and you're in trouble. And I think about this and, and I think about the, the times where where, like, I've been out in a race and everything, and the reality is, like, when I was an unattached rider, that I wasn't not trying to win. It didn't mean that I wasn't working hard. It didn't mean that I wasn't on a bicycle. It didn't mean that I wasn't a 44-year-old man in spandex. I was all those things, <laughs> Right? The only thing it meant was I didn't have anybody looking out for me, and my possibility of winning was less. And that's the reality with, with, with you know, kind of unattached followers of Christ. It doesn't mean that they're not trying hard to be a follower of Christ. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, any less Christian than you. They're just, they're missing out on the benefit of having a community around them that is looking out for them, that, is, that maybe notice some, notices something about them in their life that may be hindering them and to encourage them to go farther uh, than they could possibly do on their own. And this idea that coming, you know, one of the, one of the cool things was, was uh, you know, when I was kind of invited into a, a group of other cyclists to, to encourage me in that process. And a lot of times you think about it in the Peloton of Faith, uh, which, you know, I'm using as a metaphor as the church, is, you know, that's our, that's our job, to invite people to join us, to say, you know what? This life thing, this faith thing is hard to do on your own. And you know what? Things are going to happen along the way. And we want to be, a, you know, a, a group of human beings that invite this, you, another human being, into our community so we can help one another do this life well. And the cool thing is that Jesus talks about this uh, when somebody asks Jesus, hey, what's the kingdom of heaven going to actually look like? And Jesus comes back with a, with a story, right, that he, that he often does. And he says, hey, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. Luke chapter 14 and verse 16, he says, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell his, the guests, come, the banquet is ready. And in this, in this metaphor, in this parable, uh, I think it, it talks about the larger uh, uh, kind of meta-narrative that we've been talking about of, of a relational kind of view of our faith, that God is relationship. God is not only love, but in order for love to exist, relationship has to exist. And so God is relationship. And notice what what happens is, is God says, you know what? Go out and invite. I have, I have prepared this banquet. He hasn't said 
here's a gift card to McDonald's. You can go through the drive-thru and get a Big Mac and eat it on your own. No, that's not what heaven, the image of heaven. The image of heaven is a banquet. Hey, you are invited to this banquet. In fact, I've prepared this banquet. But there's some realities about banquets, right? You know, there's, there's a difference between going through the drive-thru at Mickey D's and getting a Big Mac and going to a banquet. When you go to a banquet, there are some realities. Number one, like if I, I was going to, let's take me for an example. I was going to have a banquet at my house, okay? And there's some realities that, that, that are carried with that. If you were invited to my banquet, number one, uh, you would come and I would be there. You may think that's a good thing. You may think that's a bad thing, but that's just reality. It's my banquet. I'm going to be there. I don't need your invitation. All right? I know it's selfish of me to be at my own banquet, but I'm throwing it. But it, the other reality is, I didn't throw the banquet for myself. I threw it for my friends and people I want to be there. So that's why you got an invitation. I, you know, I picked the menu. I paid for it. You are an invitee, and you are coming to my house, and I want you to be there, and that's very, very cool and everything. So there's, there's some realities, though. If you accept that invitation, I'm going to be there, and you're, you, know, you, you don't have to, I guess, eat it, but, but you know, it's going to be good, and we're going to hang out. The other th- the reality is that there are, this is not a candlelight dinner. You are coming to a banquet. You are going to, so there are going to be other people there that I also invited. And man, this is, this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet. And this, and this guy is throwing a banquet and, and he's invited all, you know, he's invited many guests. So what happens? Okay, Luke chapter 14, verse 18. But they all began making excuses. And these, this is like one of the funniest kind of little scriptures, I think. Uh, I, I know people get uncomfortable when I say there's funny scriptures. But come on, man. There's some funny scriptures out there. It's like when, when John's talking about the resurrection and, uh, and he's writing in John and he's all like, the disciple that Jesus loved, he's talking about himself, right, <laughs> ran faster than Peter. Come on, that's just guys smack talking. And I mean, that's just like, like, oh yeah, not only does Jesus love me more than you, Peter, but I'm faster than you. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm putting it in the Bible and it's truth, right? You know. So, okay, there's funny scripture out there. All right. So, it's okay to laugh at these excuses because they're laughable. They all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and I must inspect it. Okay, that one, inspect it. That's not too funny. But this next one, please excuse me. I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> and then this last one, which I, my wife's not at this one, so I can tell you guys this one. Please excuse me, another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. <laughs> Yeah, I can't come to the banquet. Wifey says no. So, uh, but, but again, this, 
this, uh, these, these invita- this invitation, it, it carries with it some realities. And I think that this is one of these kind of nuanced realities that a lot of times we, we miss, but I think are critically important. Number one, the banquet is put on by someone who is paid for and has created the menu, and it is in their home, and they have invited their, uh, their friends. And also the reality is that there is an invitation that is put out. Now, you may say, I want to try my oxen out, so I'm not going to come to your banquet. Okay, but that does not mean that you were not invited. Let's be clear about that. You may say, you know what? I don't want to uh, be in your home. Or I don't, I, I like your food and I like your home, but I don't like you. That, that is somebody's decision. But that does not mean that they were not invited. It just means that they chose that they do not want to come. And I think that this is an important distinction. That to, there's the reality of there, a banquet thrown by somebody is a thing. And it carries with it certain characteristics. But also, some thinking people may say, you know what, I do not want to go to that banquet. When the servants told his master, what they had said, his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I got to tell you, because they're going to, in the first gathering, I accidentally said blonde instead of blind. Yeah, I did. They already said they're going to put it on YouTube or whatever, so I just thought I'd come clean with you guys. That's my confession. So, After the servants had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, and this is, this is again, this is awesome. Go out in the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come. Like, behind, who, the dude behind the, the hedge gets to come? I mean, this is a pretty wide open invitation if you ask me. If the guy behind... Because I'm telling you, guy behind the hedge not coming to my banquet. I, I, that's just my shortcoming. Because that guy's creepy. <laughs> I don't judge me, but you, you have a banquet and you have the guy behind the hedge, right? Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting, all right, judge me. Judgers. Yes, I know. I know I should. I'm just saying what I would so, or wouldn't. All right, so... He goes on, he says, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. And again, it doesn't mean that they weren't invited, but what God is saying, you know, going back to the clarity discussion that we had, there is a reality to saying yes to an invitation. There is a reality of when I asked my wife, will you marry me? And she said, yes. She said yes, not only to, you know, my physical self, but, you know, my emotional self and my spiritual self and, and, uh, and to doing a life. You know, she would have said no, and I married another. 
that, you know, uh, and that's even weird to say because I can't even imagine that, but, but if that's just the way that life went, that, that, you know what, that intimacy would have never happened. We would have never, you know, built a life together. We would have never had children together, you know, that, that we, you know, would never have, have had the many conversations we've had about, you know, taking off while they're at school and getting on a plane and going, you know. <laughs> so, I just kind of our weird kind of, kind of things. We figure you get a good head start on them. Uh, but perhaps, you know, probably the biggest realization uh, for a Christian is this realization. Like, this is one of the, the scary realizations when the church realizes, when a follower of Christ realizes that they are the invitation. Now, we, as all invitations, are meant to represent the banquet, right? If, going back to my banquet illustration, if I'm throwing a banquet and I send you an invitation to come, you know, that that banquet uh, is going to have my address on it, that it's going to have my contact information, that, that maybe it'll give you, you know, kind of an idea that, hey, it's going to be a banquet, so don't eat before you come. Uh, maybe it has some clues on how I want you to dress uh, and, and, and what the evening is going to be like. And, and, but the invitation is not the thing. The invitation is what allows people to know that they are invited. And that's us. We are the invitation, and we are to reflect what the banquet is meant to be. We are to be that reflection, because it's not about us, but we have been sent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 18, Paul writes this, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has taken us, excuse me, has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, make, and God is making his appeal through us. Now, I did a terrible job reading that, but, I mean, you think about what is said in those, those few sentences, that idea that, you know what, we are the invitation, that, that God is making His appeal through us, His appeal to what? To come be with me, to come and uh, that you are invited to experience my unfettered presence. We must make sure that we're inviting people to the, the, right, the right event. We're not inviting them to church. We're not inviting them to get churched. We're inviting them to be in a community, in a peloton of faith, to, uh, you know, a big support group, if you want, to, to encourage one another to, to relentlessly pursue God and 
to explore what He has envisioned for our lives. That's what we're inviting them to do. My friend Billy Robertson, he posted this on Facebook, and I thought it was so good. I wanted to share a little bit of it with you. He wrote, the destination gospel has to be presented with a sales pitch, many times in order to get people to buy. Let's look at some sales pitches explaining salvation. Believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. I was sent a picture from Tim the other day that there's, you know, a marquee on a church said, turn or burn. You know, that'd be like, hey, you know what? I really want you to come to my house and I got all this great food and, it, and, it, and music and it's going to be wonderful. Or I can tear your tongue out. Or, heaven is going to be so awesome, it has streets of gold, columns of pearl, etc., etc., except Jesus today. Or heaven's going to be a party with no more pain, suffering, sorrow, you know, and all that. And, and he goes on to say, those statements may have some truth to them, but we are missing the forest for the trees. The destination gospel commands more respect and adoration for the destination. Let me reread that. The destination gospel commands more respect and adoration for the destination than the one who created the destination. The destination pales in comparison to the main character. The destination is only God, glory is because the glorious one resides there. And I was thinking about this. How many of you go to Doak Stadium when nothing is going on and sit in the bleachers for three hours cheering? Have you ever done that all by yourself? Doak Stadium is, we go there, why? Because, you know what? We go there because FSU is playing there. We go there because there's, you know, all, you know, our 80,000 or whatever best friends, you know, are there experiencing it with us. That it really, you know, Doak Stadium is important because it gives a place, but it's not the point. And that is where, you know, Jesus says, like, look, I am not sending you to have people sit in a building somewhere, but I want, I'm sending you to make disciples of me, to, to experience me. And yeah, you know what? There's some, there's some realities of bringing people together. There's, there's realities of that, but that's not the point. The point is the relationship. The point is reconciliation. And that's where we get our call to, to, to uh, be the light in the world, to illuminate. You know, Ricky um, Raconte, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was, you know, in a, in a devotional, I've quoted this a couple of times, but it's brilliant, that, that she said that, you know, our, our light is to illuminate, not burn. 
And I just think that that's such a, a beautiful statement because so often that, that people use their light to burn people. But that's not what the light was given. The light was called, given so we could be the invitation. That, that light was this very important thing in the ancient world. And uh, before electricity and all of that kind of stuff, that people would allow, you know, let people know that they were open for guests when they would have their fires lit and maybe a candle in the window. Even today that, you know, that we allow people, we let people know where we are. You know, we even have colloquialisms where we say, hey, we'll leave a light on for you, right? And things like that. You know, uh, if, if you invited me to your home and didn't have the light on, I'd be like, that's kind of that's weird, right? The, the, why don't they have their light on? You know, like we... Uh, and we all, when, when we're going to bed, every, every one of us, you know, uh, we turn out our, our porch lights. We turn out our lights because we don't want some Yahoo coming into our house. Even if we love you, we want our sleep, you know. And uh, so this idea of, of lights. So let me finish up with this. So where does this inner illumination come from? You know, how are we the light? And because the reality is light can't be just conjured up with, without anything. And Jesus says this in John 15, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And the reality is that the imperfect church has been given the perfect mission of relational reconciliation. That, that the church in its ideal state, when, when we are at our best, we are actually the physical manifestation of God. We are the tangible hand of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And I know that that imagery, we've heard it so many times, but what's the body do? The body does the work of what the heart, mind, and soul wants. That's what our mission is. We are the body. We are the sent ones. We are the workers. We are the ones to be the hope and light in this broken and messy world. And the cool thing is, Jesus goes on in, verse, uh, in chapter 14, he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same work that I have done, even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. And he sends us what? A counselor. He sends us the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and dwells in us. And I like to think about this like that's a hard statement when Jesus says, hey, those, my followers are going to do even greater works than I. And I struggled with that for a long time because I'm not greater than Jesus. But you know what? Jesus was telling the truth because, you know what? Jesus fed thousands of people. His body, the church, has fed millions of people. Jesus healed hundreds of people. You know what? His body, the church, heals hundreds of people hourly. 
globally now. I mean, he, uh, that, that Jesus, you know, brought the gospel to a small region in the ancient Near East. His body has brought it globally. So, Christ's body, the church, has, has indeed done greater things than Jesus ever did when he was here in his physical ministry. Let me leave you with this. We have been invited to be the light of the world. One of the cool things about the banquet is if when you accept the invitation to go to the banquet, you also become the invitation. And we get to be the messenger of the greatest story ever told. We get to go behind the hedges and we get to go places that we never would have gone to on our own and meet people that we would have never met and experience things that we would have never experienced if we had not accepted that invitation. But also, even in the, the, the majesty and we can marvel at that high calling, also the reality is there's no plan B. We are it. We are the invitation. If that invitation never gets to its intended recipient, they are not invited. If we change that invitation from, from love and relationship, then we, have, we are not a proper res, uh, 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 a representation of the banquet thrower God. But finally, always remember, it's not us who does it, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and dwells in us and allows us to be the light, to be the invitation, to invite people into a community that will help them go farther and faster than they ever could on their own. Thank you guys.